previously on the Felon to Freeman podcast. So my name is Antonio Maven. I'm a I'm a team member of Felon to Freeman, and also I am the first participant of the program. I was born on July 27, 1987, in Detroit to a single black mother and her daughter. My mother wanted to give my sister and I something better, something new. She wanted to raise us somewhere safe and give us a fighting chance at a successful and happy life. So with happiness and success and her hopes and, and prayers, she moved us to Nashville, New Hampshire, the live free or die state. Though it was safer than Detroit, Life in New Hampshire wasn't always sunshine and rainbows. From the time I can remember, it was my mother, sister, four cousins, and myself. There were seven of us, including my mother. I started acting out and getting into trouble when I was about five years old. I was throwing rocks, breaking windows, shoplifting, stealing bikes, etc. With the things I was doing, it wasn't long before I became acquainted with the justice system. By the time I turned eight years old, I was already on juvenile probation. <clears throat> I was way too young to understand what this meant for my life in future. As an eight-year-old, how could I be aware of the stigmas, labels, and brands these actions would have placed upon me? <sighs> I know this was a challenge for my mother. Looking back on it now with kids of my own, I see things from an entirely different perspective. She was a single black mother, raising not only her own two kids, but also my four cousins. She made sure we were all fed, clothed, bathed, while making sure we all felt loved and wanted on top of her daily stresses and struggles. As a child, I didn't know what she was going through because of how easy she made it all look. But sometimes making things look easy comes with consequences. When I would get into trouble and have to go to court, my mother would say, just plead guilty so we can get out of these people's faces. Neither of us understood the damage it would cause for me to plead guilty to all the things I was accused of doing. I wasn't an innocent child by any means, but I didn't do all the things that I pled guilty to. Around the age of 10, I was put in a group home called the Webster House in Manchester, New Hampshire. And at the age of 11, I was kicked out of that program. Two years after that, at the age of 13, I was sent away to another group home in Colebrook, New Hampshire called Eckert. Well, Camp Eckert. Looking back on it all now, Camp Eckert was a great place. I learned a lot of things there. And had I not been so angry and depressed and upset about being there, I could have learned a lot more and taken away a lot more from that place. When I was 15, I was given a private graduation from the program. The staff and counselors said they couldn't do anything else for me, and I had made as much progress as I could. And when I returned to regular school, it wasn't long before I started selling marijuana to other students. But finally, having my own money gave me confidence and, a, and esteem. My wardrobe changed to fit my self-image, and it made me feel more accepted amongst my peers. We could afford name brand things, and I didn't have to go to school in hand-me-downs. I could now buy whatever I wanted for myself. I helped my mother with bills, I got my sister whatever she wanted and needed, and everyone treated me as the grown man that I thought I was. I remember the feeling and pride I had when at 16 I paid for my own driver's license. I had a sense of freedom that I never felt before. Soon after receiving my license, I lost it for 16-year-old reasons, speeding, unpaid parking tickets, etc. Two summers later, I was sentenced to two and a half to five years in New Hampshire State Prison for driving without a license and possession of a controlled drug. I spent my 18th, 19th, and 20th birthday in Concord, New Hampshire Department of Corrections. And for the next 13 years of my life, I was in and out of prison, spending no more than a year at a time as a free man between sentences. But my last sentence was the last sentence. When I met Anthony last summer, I was on the fence, teetering back and forth. Do I go back to what I know, or do I take a chance to do something different? He told me his story and all he had been through, but I knew it wasn't for sympathy or for clout, but instead to show me that no matter what you go through. It is at this point of the live Zoom broadcast 
where we ran into a problem with the audio. Antonio's sound was temporarily cut. I will read his words before returning back to the live broadcast. Continuing Antonio's thought, Anthony said that to show me that no matter what's happening or what you're going through, if you're still breathing, you can get back up, make something better out of it. He said, don't go backwards, keep your head up, God's got a plan for you. And I told him, I wasn't sure about God. And in return, he said, I know you have your doubts or don't believe. He still sees you. That's why I'm here. This was meant to be. We're gonna change the world. Anthony helped me get registered to vote. And I voted for the first time ever. I never thought I would say it, but voting felt amazing. I felt empowered, like I had the right to be a citizen and to participate. Taking that confidence, I saw a job opening at the casino, the River Casino and Bar in Nashville, New Hampshire. Everything in my mind was telling me that they wouldn't accept me and they wouldn't hire a felon. Anthony pushed me. He made me fill out the application. I did, and in the interview, I told the interviewer, Jen, about my background. She said, we do give second chances, but we have to write to the state for approval. They told me they would get back to me. And I thought to myself, oh well, this is exactly what I thought would happen. They would never hire me because of my past. Two weeks later, I got a call and I got the job. I couldn't believe it. I became the first former felon to work at that casino. After my training period, I was only the fourth, the only the fourth person to pass the card dealing exam on my first try. My bosses and co-workers and customers love me and my work ethic. They've given me more, they've given me more shifts and responsibilities. And in addition to dealing cards, I'll soon be helping with security at the door. I'm earning money to take care of my family and my soon to be born child. Felt Eleanor Freeman is also allowing me to study graphic designs in my spare time. I actually designed the flyers for this event. My life has completely changed. Changed. I wake up looking forward to building a better life for myself and my kids. I love myself and I'm happy. I finally have support I can count on. I'm here building Felon the Freeman because I can see the challenges that a child can have with their anger and emotions. I know firsthand what can happen when a child growing up in poverty isn't allowed to use words to express their needs. So often when other races of children have challenges, they're seen as mistakes and things that they can learn from and grow from. They, are, they have counseling and second chances, but with folks like us, folks like me, it seems the answer is punishment and incarceration instead of understanding and therapy. It seems like inside the justice system, it's just us. And here at Felon of Freeman, we're gonna change that. Welcome to Felon of Freeman. We help men and women walk the path from prison to prosperity. Anthony Harris and Tom Payton bring you interviews, stories of redemption, moments of inspiration, and helpful tips to mold those handcuffs into cufflinks. After the Freeman bravely shared their stories, the audience was given the opportunity to share their reactions. All right, Chip Fleischer. Hi, thank you very much for everything tonight. I wanted to ask um, Antonio, when he was talking about the help he already got from Felon to Freeman, that helped him get on the right track and get the job at the casino and all that. You guys are just organizing now and it sounded like Anthony helped him out so much earlier. I'm just curious to find out what resources were made available then, what Anthony was doing with Antonio that helped him, you know, so much very support. If you could just say a little more about his story. So at, at, at that time, I mean, and even still now at this time, we didn't really have much resources at all. It was just, Anthony being there to motivate me and let me know, like, you you can do this and you don't have to depend on what it is that you've already been doing. He motivated me to stay on the right track. And when I couldn't get to places, even when he took me, when um, 
he was telling me to register to vote. He came and picked me up and brought me there. He came to make sure that I knew that I had the support from someone other than the people that you already expect to have support from, like your immediate family and those people in that circle. To have someone who cares enough from outside of your circle to come in and help you get these things done and help motivate you when there's nothing to gain from them for it, that was big for me. And that's how he helped me with those things. Yeah. And I'll just say there are times where folks literally die of lack of encouragement. There are people that grow up in some of these communities where they never, no one ever has a kind word and everybody has a snap or something angry. But that's, if you grow up in a tough neighborhood, that's how it works. And Anthony has such, exudes such a positivity. And like even literally today, picking up, uh, they picked up Antonio and they picked up some clothes so that uh, at Men's Warehouse so that they could feel they could look at the part and look nice for the handcuffs, the cufflinks. It's like little things like that. One of our goals is a year from now to have, or less than a year from now, by the end of this year, we want to have a fellow in the Freeman Center in New Hampshire where a formerly incarcerated individual can show up and have a and borrow a suit jacket and a tie and a shirt if they have a job interview. Like we want to be able to set folks up to be able to be successful. And right now we've been doing this, like paying for Zoom and Canva and all this other stuff out of the goodness of our hearts, because this is this is the important part. It doesn't the work needs to get done regardless of what it pays. After true stories of redemption, we interviewed Antonio Mabin and asked him about his life, family and future plans. Wow. Wait, so how many kids do you have? I have four. I have four right now, and I'll have five come June. Wow. Yep. Wow. What are their ages? 12, 12, 6, and 5. And then... uh eight months <laughs> or negative eight months or yes. two minus minus two months i believe in china isn't it true in china they can see you're considered to be a year old once you're born i've never heard that before but it wouldn't surprise me i mean <laughs> the the truth is what most people don't understand is that while the baby is forming all of its organs the stuff is starting to get used and you're building in practices into your child, like the way that you carry your child in the nine months that, you know, yeah. is how they're going to behave. If you have a lot of chaos and commotion during your uh, during the pregnancy, the child is going to be a loud and chaotic child because that's what they think is normal. Yeah. In order to get attention between a mother and father that are always kind of going back at each other or a job that's always going back at each other or whatever is causing the stress, the kid learns, oh, this is the way to get my needs met. Be loud, because that's the way my world is, even in the womb. Messiah, James, Maven. Or the other side of it, if you teach a child peace and uh, you start enforcing the things that you would like to see for the child, telling them that they can do anything and building that reinforcement, not only for the child, but for yourself, because that's the beauty of having a kid is that you improve because you're telling the kid all the things that you want for them in their life and their future. Yeah. But unwittingly, you're also telling those things to yourself. And so, so many people, after they have their kid, their life drastically changes, either for the better or for the worse, because the way they feel about that kid and the way they talk to the kid, which in turn becomes the way they talk to themselves. Hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Mm hmm. So have you been giving a uh, thought to what would you want your world to be like in that five years from now? So five years from now, how old will you be? How old will I be? I'll be 38. 
You'll be 38 five years from now. Yeah, going on 39. Awesome. And how old will all your kids be? Oh, Jesus. 17, 17, 10, and 9. No, 17, 11, and 9. <sighs> okay. Okay. And how old will your queen be? He will be 39. All right. Now, <clears throat> when you close your eyes, and if you've had an opportunity to have the world as you wish it to be, where all the things that you've ever wanted for yourself came true, all the things you wanted for your kids over the next five years started to come true, whether it's a house or condo or apartment, um, good relationships, um, or, you know, an income, a life, whatever you do with your time, your joy, what would that look like? What I do with my time and my joy? Well, I feel like by then I want to be financially stable, mm -hmm. have a house that I either built or am currently building, mm -hmm. and my own electric bike uh, company. An electric bike company. Yes. What got you? What was I've never uh, like? What kind of uh, electric bikes? Like motorcycles? Like regular no. pedaling bikes? Yeah, pedaling bikes. Wow. What was it that brought that on? I've never, I've never heard you talk about the electric bikes. Me not having a driver's license, and before I got locked up, the last time I got locked up, I was uh, I built an electric bike to get me to and from and I was riding it from Pelham to Nashua to get back and forth to work. Originally I had bought a bike to get to work and then uh, it broke. So I took it completely apart to see how it worked. And then I built my own, built my own battery and all that stuff, learned about electric motors, well, more than I already knew and put my own bike together. I had a bike that was uh, it was a 29 inch, did uh, 60 miles an hour, and I could get 120 miles out of it on one charge. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Dude. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Where did you learn about motors and how to put together uh, put together the electric bike? Um, I Well, I've always been to electronics mm -hmm. and um i learned how to put them together by taking the one that i bought apart after it broke mm. actually i got hit by a car in a, in a roundabout and uh it was right in front of a police station with cameras aimed at the roundabout and they still blame me for it i'm like i'm a bicycle in a bicycle lane going around a roundabout the car failed to yield coming into the fucking roundabout and i'm like you still blame me i was in pelham all white town black guy on a fucking bike i'm like since when is it ever a bicyclist's fault that a car hits them mm. in the bicycle lane yeah and then and then they turned around and tried to sue me for damages to their car Wow, what happened? Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I just stopped going to court for it and listening to it. So I don't know what happened. Wow. But I told them, I'm like, you guys have the video footage. You see me on the bike. You see me inside of the roundabout coming around, and you see this car pull up and not yield or anything to come into it and hit me. I'm like, if you think that I'm about to give these people some money, for their car, when you're telling me you're not going to give me money for one, having to go to the hospital, for two, having to pay for my own damn broken bike, I'm like, you, you got another thing coming if you think I'm giving them some money. Did you have anybody to help you with the legal system? Nope. Mm. One of the big impairments that have kept you from being able to do the things that you want to do in your life is your driver's license. Yeah. When was the last time you went to try 
to follow the steps of getting it? I was home about two years ago, three or two and a half years ago now. All right. What what did that process look like for you then? They told me I had to take the driver's attitude course and pay my reinstatement fees and then come back and see them. And when I went, they told me to come back in a year. So you took the class. I took the class, paid my fees, all that. Yeah. And you have the receipts? I've done that about, uh, I don't know, three or four times. I've, I've been trying to get my license for 17 years. No, no, no I know. What What I'm trying to do is I hear you because I absolutely hate the administrative work and the tasks that they have there. What I'm doing is trying to lay down a specific timeline of the actions that you took and the outcomes that they've given you and the steps so that when we find someone that can help us to help you, we can say, these are the things that have already been done. Here are the receipts, if we have them. Here are the proof of the courses. We need someone, like, this is the steps that, that they laid out. This is what we did. What is the hiccup? So that somebody else that's not you and in the system can actually go to bat for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I don't have I don't have any of those receipts or anything anymore. Okay. That was in my old house in Pelham and all my stuff there got thrown away or sold. Okay. Now it's been a little bit since we've had a chance to chat. Um especially since uh true stories of redemption. You've been working uh yeah. a lot, which is good. Seems like nonstop. Oh yeah. How's that like? How is that for you right now? I like it. I like the job. I like the money. I just, it's short, short sleeping hours. I'll tell you that much. I mean, I also have to try to create time for myself and then creating time for myself. It takes time away from everything else because I'm already tired and exhausted from work. So when I do finally wake up, I try to take Sundays to myself because that's like my first day off Mm -hmm. i try to take that day without doing anything at all except for laying down but then you have (laughs) house stuff so then i end up kind of fussing with my queen about cleaning because i don't want to i just want to lay in bed i'm like no just come lay down with me like i don't want to do nothing but (laughs) there's never really a time for me to do nothing Is that where most of the the challenge comes in, is trying to find that time for yourself and the conflict between that? Yeah. Is the frustration that your queen have over actual the cleaning or is it the action of wanting to connect together and cleaning is the activity she's using to connect? Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty much that. Okay. The only thing that we do do together is... (laughs) pay rent and bills <laughs> like other than that like we hang out we sleep we don't really go anywhere or do anything so all right yeah have you ever heard of the the term managing up no okay so in work you know work where you have a boss that you have to give reports to and all that other stuff yep Um, And you know how sometimes your boss is disorganized (laughs) or your boss has no real idea of how you work and the challenges that you go through, but they have those things that somebody's making them answer to and they feel like they need whatever from you right now. And you're like, I'm handling 10 things right now. Yeah. And one of the things that you can do is when you understand, because all of us have our our ways of communicating, acting, we all have our urges and we all have the things that drive our anxiety. So one of the things that you can do if you're in, and I'm not talking about just your 
marital relationships, but like any relationship, friendships, anything like that, when you understand how the other person functions, um, and if it's going to be a lasting relationship, you understand you and the things that you need, but then you go through and say, all right, what are the things that they need and how can I be proactive about getting them that so that they will give me the space to get the things that I need? It means like if, um, for instance, when you have a boss that is, uh, you know, there's that boss that always needs to check in. So instead of you waiting until the boss calls, you call the boss. And then you tell and it's like when you keep doing that and you call the boss, sometimes you do it when you know it's inconvenient for them so that they can feel it. And you're like, hey, I'm calling to check in like you want it. And here's the information that you need it. And after a while, the boss gets so front loaded because part of their process is to ask these questions. And when it's not answered, then they feel panic. And then they call the person that they think has the answer. And then they call with all that panic and energy. And then yeah. they put all that panic and energy on you. And you're like, I, I was just doing whatever I was doing, right? And so you're trying to get through and it's because they have an energy that they are pushing through from whatever they're experiencing. And so you can either react to their energy, which is going to cause more dynamic, or you can understand, oh, this is what's going on. Let me take a deep breath. Let me find the actual problem that's going on. Because like if the argument's about cleaning, it's not actually about cleaning. The argument's about spending time together. Because if the argument's about cleaning, then you say, all right, how do I cl- how do I clear out enough money to hire a cleaning lady once a week? Yeah, I was actually just talking about that yesterday. But the, the problem that you're going to have if you do that, if the problem is the connection and not the cleaning, you're still going to have fights. You have to find what the real problem is. And that's sometimes the mystery of dealing with bosses and dealing with women. They don't tell you what the actual problem is. They use other things to go after the problem because they don't even know that that's what the actual problem is. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I hope I'm just not preaching out and just like, you're like, dude, I know. Oh No, you're not. You're not. (laughs) So it's like, take some time, understand some things that are your queen's favorite things to do and front load that. If you get out ahead and set the grounds for the bonding and connecting. And it's almost like you have kids where you take them out to the playground and you run them real hard so they can go to sleep so you can get some sleep. But if they sit around the house all day. They're going to be kicking you in the butt and they ain't going to go to sleep and you ain't going to go to sleep. But yeah. if you take the kid to the park early in the morning and make them run around in circles and all this other and they go up and down the slide and swing, 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 run around, run around, run around, run around. Then they're dead tired when you bring them back home. You got the rest of your night to yourself. So find some ways to emotionally fulfill that need that your queen has that are powerful and new and put her in a new frame and you in a new frame so that you guys can discover and talk and connect together over your lost that you guys both don't know what the heck you're doing right now so that you can grow tighter. That's why, you know, people who start relationships and crazy situations, they bond because they had to go and endure something together. But once you're in a relationship for a while, you have fewer and fewer of those moments. And then sometimes people in relationships create those moments of tension so that they can feel. It's the reason why some people get tattoos because they like the they want the art to be able to see. But it's one of those moments where they get to feel their skin. They lead into the pain. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
And please stop me if any of this does not make sense or if you have any questions or if any of this is like, eh, you know, I don't know if I want to. No, it makes sense. I get tattoos because I miss the feeling. <laughs> See? <laughs> like when you're getting a tattoo, you're like, damn, this sucks. Ah, but then after, you're like, whew, I want another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, like, the goal from here on out is to make sure that all of your relationships are amazing. Because the more the people that interact with you find joy and the more you find joy in interacting with them, the more you build peace, the more you're able to get closer to that dream of one day owning that bike factory and providing for your kids' futures. Does that make sense? Yeah. Wow. Bike factory. That's dope, man. <laughs> Are there any other like electric um, bike manufacturers in, in New Hampshire? I don't think so. I mean, I know there's a bunch of shops that, that sell them, but I don't think there's anyone who's actually building their own. Like I had this idea because I found a way to, um, to, uh, turn car alternators into electric motors because an, an alternator is an electric motor. It just runs backwards and it put, puts out um, electricity instead of taking it in. Mm-hmm. So you can rewire, literally rewire it exactly backwards and have it run forward, putting power into it as a motor. So I was thinking that what I could do is I could uh, go to these junkyards, find bikes that are in decent shape, sand them down, repaint them, get a, uh, as many alternators out of cars and trucks as I can get while I'm there because they let you just take whatever you can. Some junkyards are like however much you can, uh, like if you can carry it, like you pay like $50, whatever you can carry out, you can take and grab some alternators and hook them up. Go to let your bikes out of them. It's like I'm sitting here picturing you teaching a bunch of teenagers how to do that. Yeah. I would love that. So once you got this all set up, everything's up and going. What would be what would you need to have as a monthly income to feel like you're financially stable? Like imagine all the everybody else is everybody else is paid at the company, all the business expenses are paid. What would you need to be able to start setting up as you know, the out uh, the the actual net of it all of your business, s- so that you can take care of yourself, take care of your family, start setting up college funds, and feel good about yourself. Um, I don't know actually, because I never, uh, I've never, I've never even thought about even thought about that even with um our fell on the Freeman project. Like I've never really thought about what it would, what it would be that would make me feel like I was financially stable. I've never even, I've never even uh, kept track of the amount of money that I spend per month on the things that I think that I need on top of the things that I actually want. So I don't know, but I would think that honestly, no more than $8,000 a month would be, it wouldn't be necessary for anything more than that. I'm thinking rent and groceries and like electric bills and things like that. So, I mean, even, even like 65, 7,500 a month would do. All right. And, could, and then I could like set up, I could set up these, uh, the bank accounts for my kids and college funds and grab them some stocks and a couple of things and let those things grow for the next 20 years for them, you know? So, well, yeah, I don't. I don't think it would really take that much. I just. I don't know what my monthly expenses are even now. I should probably start keeping track. I'm like, I'll probably save a lot more money. It might be good to first write down what you make a month right now. So go through your checks and average it out to every month I make this much, and then write down all of your expenses, any sorts of like everything your rent, utilities, uh, food, um, and just 
go through it so that you know it for one month. Look at April or look at um, look at March and then just start to wrap yourself around how much it costs to live your life and then start imagining what it would take, what you would do with extra money in those spots. Because what happens sometimes, and this is why you find people that are miserable even though they're millionaires. If you never make an accounting of what you need and what brings you joy, you don't recognize it when you have it. Yeah. And so if you're able to sit down and say, all right, if I make if I make 3000 a month, I'm successful because it allows me to do this, 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 and this. And then lo and behold, you're starting to make 3000 a month. You can say, oh, crap. Now I can start using, I can start building for the next thing. If I get an extra thousand, that's going to allow me to do this, 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 and that and save and put into other places. But if you never take a look at where you are, what happens is you'll get a raise and then you'll spend into that raise. You'll get the next more expensive meal and you're always getting the, you'll get the next best shoes and you're always spending into your additional money and never realize that you're making more than you were making before. I've fallen into that trap myself and it's actually a common trap, especially those of us that never learned how to budget as a kid. If our parents never taught us that as a skill. Yeah. It's almost like we got to go back to that episode of the Cosby show where uh, Bill Cosby was sitting down with uh, Theo and saying, all right, you're going to move to New York city. Here's some money. He pulled the Antonio. I don't need a car. I'll ride a motorbike. <laughs> but what that does is it, A, it allows you to control your spending. B, it gets you wrapped around your administrative and financial self. Because you know what? These are all skills. Um, I was just on a call with, she was doing some case manager work with one of her clients. Uh, a decarcerated individual that she's helping walk the path. And she was helping him um, make a phone call with, to get him some benefits. Yeah. And you could tell that he, it's the same thing as you as your, your driver's license or me and countless other things. Cause I had the same, same thing happened to me with my driver's license in LA that happened to you where I went, I got it. I lost it had a whole bunch of steps, thought I did the whole bunch of steps and it gets exhausting. It's almost like voting where they make you have to jump through hoops where you shouldn't have to. But what you need is somebody that can go in for you and with you that will handle that talking piece and they can be as they need to be to get results. Whereas if you're like, if you're standing firm people will take you standing firm as a threat. Whereas, especially if it's somebody that's female that's standing firm and advocating for your rights, they will more likely acquiesce and find the things that actually need to be done. That's what I needed. Telling Ann, I'm like, I can't, I can't go in there by myself again. Mm-hmm. All right, so we'll work on that. Is finding that's what we need to do is to find an in town ally for you that can help you through the administrative process of getting your license. Oh, how did it go today? Uh, he my parole officer wasn't even in, so I just had to fill out a, uh, a form saying that I came and I have to go in on uh, July 7th. Now, what are those meetings typically like? With the what is the uh, meeting with the parole person typically like? Well, really, I just go, I see him. I don't even make it to his office. He just asks me if anything's changed or anything like that. Has anything changed? Have you been arrested? Police contact, whatever, whatever. And then he tells me to go because he has other people that he actually has to be a parole officer to. I mean, I guess it's at a point where I'm doing good enough to where we're just going through the motions. Like, you have to come and see me every so often. So just come, whatever. If nothing's changed, like, go come see me in two more months. 
So it's good. It's not like when I first came home and like I was going to see my parole officer and I would sit down with him for 10 minutes and talk about my plans and what I'm doing. I'm like, he pretty much knows from the emails that he's gotten. And I'm sure, I'm sure he's heard of the felon, the Freeman thing and Antonio Maven and like all the things that we're trying to do. So he doesn't really bother me much. Mm. You're first coming out. What does that look like? The world when you first, all right, you're free. They tell you, okay, you're going to be getting out on such and such date. And you walk out. It's when you walk out, you have to go check in with your parole officer within 24 hours. And then that first, for your first three to six months, you have to see them once every week. So depending on how you are, when you go see them and they see what it is you're doing, that'll determine how long you have to see them once a week for. And it's typically like a, it's like a guidance counselor check-in. What are your plans? What are you doing? What are you doing? What have you been doing? Have you seen anyone? Who have you been hanging around? Like things like that. Have they given you any sort of rehabilitative work, like any counseling therapy? Um, No. Any training like that? No, none. Did you have any of that before you left, while you were still on the inside? Recommended to do any programs or anything. I was literally just sitting there doing dead time, just sitting around waiting for my time to come. Wow. Now, Antonio, if you had to talk with the younger version of yourself, what would you tell you? I would tell myself to focus more on yourself and worry less about what other people are going through. Because I, I tend to, the people that I care about who I consider to be my friends, when they have problems, I take their problems from them, make them my own and fix them for them before fixing the things that I have to fix for myself. So all my things get put on the back burner. I tell myself, worry about you, fix yourself before you can help anybody else fix themselves. Mm. What would have made you actually listen? You know, I honestly... I don't, I don't know because I've had 101 of those same guys talk to me when I was 20 years old sitting in that cell and they were like, look, this isn't what you want. It's this and this and like this is what life is going to throw at you and I've been there already. I've already made these mistakes. The problem is with any teenager or 20-something year old is we all think that we know and our lives are different and we're doing it better than the person that came before us. So honestly, I don't even know. I mean, I would say the same thing that they all said to me, like this ain't the life that you want to live. This is where they want to keep you. They're stopping you from moving forward and taking care of your family. You got to find another way and da, 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 da. And I'm, and what every 20 year old does they're like, yeah, whatever an old ass dude, like mind your business, you know, like, so, so I don't really know. Like, you have no idea how many dudes I've seen in there. Like, oh, I, I can't stand my kid's mother. Like, it's this and it's that. And I'm like, no, not me. My baby mother's different. Like, we agree. And no, I, I, I find myself saying the same thing. There's nothing you can say to your past self that's going to get your past self to listen. Hmm. Yeah. What does it take then to make the change because like right now you're living a change what does it take to make it stick in and say you know what this is what i need because whether it's internal or anything what are what is the stimulus that someone needs to make that change or what was the stimulus for you just seeing the same results come of the same decisions The same heartache, the same stresses coming from the same decisions that you make. And no matter, like you try to tweak them a little bit so they're a little bit different, but it's all the same. Like the 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 end result is the same. Like I'm, I just figured, like you know what, life life is a game. The entire thing is a game. No matter no matter whether you want to play or not. If everybody else is playing is playing the game of life and you're not playing, you're losing. So you need to learn the rules 
and play within those rules so you can manipulate them to benefit you like everyone else does. But if you're playing the game of life outside of the rules, you're going to lose 99% of the time. Whether you want to play the game or not, you're in it. You're alive. So your game started. And if you want to be successful, you want to have anything better than what you've been doing, then you need to change your entire thought process. And stop listening to anyone outside of yourself. And it's not it's not going to work. You can take advice and hear their stories, but when someone's trying to tell you you got to go about it this way or go here and do that, you can't, even though it worked for them and they did it that way, you got to find the way that works for you within those same guidelines and rules. Now, with life being the game and death being the end of your own particular game, how do you feel like you're winning? For you. Well, I mean, I have a family. I have a house. I'm paying all my bills. We're happy. We have more than enough. Like, I mean, I guess not more than enough, but I mean, we have, we have extra. So, and it's more than I've, had before in this this way getting it the right way i've always gone about getting things the wrong way which is why it falls apart and i end up losing all of it no matter how much i collect or have but this time around going about it all the right way i have a credit score like there, there are all types of things that i have now that i never had before that I didn't think that I needed, wanted, or even cared about having. But that's because I was playing by different rules, my own rules that are made up. You know, like there's a there's a rule, like there are rules to life. And if you're playing within those within those rules, you can actually make it. And I'm doing that now. I don't know why I thought it would be hard or whatever, but it's really not. It's pretty it's a lot easier, a lot more simple to play this way than it is to play the way that I I'll tell you that much. Now I just try to apply everything that I learned when I was doing the things that I was doing to what I'm doing now. It's working. I know that. I never thought I'd care about having a credit score. These things mean something to me now. Like, I understand. And I just wish, I wish so bad that I understood or cared as much as I do now, five years ago, 10 years ago. I'd be so much further in life. But then I'm sure there wouldn't be. Helen the Freeman wouldn't be what it is right now. I wouldn't know you. I wouldn't know Aunt. Because I feel like at the end of the day, if any of us, me, you, Aunt, or Tone, had made any other decisions in our lives opposed to the ones that we made, none of us would be in this circle. Like we all literally had to make every decision and go through everything that we went through to end up together in the end of this. Because if if anything had been different, we wouldn't have met. We wouldn't have met each other. It's like it's it's that crazy. Like everybody thinks it's like it's a. I don't know which. Like you, you believe in like the chaos theory. Uh, explain the chaos theory for me. Well, the chaos theory is just like, like everything is random. Like, 
like this happened. It has no connection to this. It has no connection to that. Things just happen. And then when good things come out of it, it's just, it's a coincidence. But now how, um, like in Buddhism, like what they believe is that everything, everything happens for a reason. There's a purpose for everything. So in the beginning, like in the beginning of time when, well, they say when it was the great bang and everything was like crashing into crashing into other particles and molecules like before they actually became anything there's a point in time where protons and electrons they they collide they bounce off of each other but every now and then one sticks you know and then like they continue to tumble through space and time bouncing off of other molecules and particles and every now and then something sticks until it reaches a certain point where something bounces off it connects and now all these particles and molecules that come together know exactly what it is that they're building you know what i'm saying it's like all right so we have it takes 1.6 billion molecules to build this one thing but until it get until you get to say uh 600,000 molecules combined none of these things understand what it is that they're coming together for until they reach that that point where it's like all right we're making this you know what i mean like oh, all right so we're making a salamander and now everything just comes into place to snap together to create the salamander like that that's what the that's what the buddhists believe is that like it's so it's chaos theory mixed with with a purpose it's like everything is random until a certain point and then it's known what it is that we're supposed to be doing, how it's supposed to come together. And we're not just bouncing off of things randomly. Now we're looking for what it is that we know we need to complete the circle. And chaos theory is the exact opposite where it's just like, everything is just smashing into each other. And then randomly this thing was created. And it's like, Oh, that's what we are. You know? Mm-hmm. And how does that relate to Felina Freeman? Well, that's that's what I mean. For a while, like we we were all just doing what we were doing, living our own separate lives, making our own decisions, doing whatever. Not actually, we were making decisions, obviously, for the better of ourselves, and not actually fully understanding where it was that we were trying to go. Until we all reached this certain point, and it happens to be that Anthony was a connecting point for us where we were like, all right, we know what we're doing. We know what we're supposed to be. And now we're pulling in all the pieces that we need to make what it is that we all know that we're supposed to be right now. But had any of us made during that chaotic time in our lives where we were just doing whatever it was that we were doing for us, had we made any different decision during that time, we would have never came to this it would still just be an idea that probably got snatched out of the, the Akashic record and someone else had brought into fruition. Every idea, every idea is manifest. It's just not always manifest by the first person who thought it. But I feel like, like, had I, had I not gone to prison the last time, fell into Freeman wouldn't be a thing for me. I don't know if it would still be a thing for you. I know I know I wouldn't be in this circle had I not gone to prison that last time because I would have been doing God knows what else. Had I not, when my sister told me about Anthony, had I not picked up that phone and actually called him to hear what he had to say and talk to him about it, I wouldn't be there. Like, I don't know how, what it was that sparked your connection into this situation, but had you did anything different, even that, that last week before you met Anthony, had you done something different, you wouldn't have met Anthony. You guys wouldn't have ended up speaking. You know what I mean? Like, it's, there's just so many things that have to, there's so many things that have to go wrong in order to get to the spot where things are going right. And if these things did, if, if other things had gone wrong for me in my life, as opposed to the things that actually already did go that did go wrong for me, it would be I would be in a different suit, a, a different group. I would be in, involved in something completely different as opposed to fell into Freeman. 
Tone, had I not met Tone 10 years ago in that cell when I was, well, actually, I want to say it was more than 10 years ago, but I mean, we'll say 10 years ago when I was 23 years old in that cell, Tone wouldn't be in this situation. Even though those conversations that we discussed had nothing to do with Felina Freeman. Felina Freeman wasn't even a thought at that time. But had we not met when we met, like we met, we wouldn't be what we are right now. None of us would. It's weird. Things, things get deep inside this head of mine. And they get a little complicated. And sometimes I feel like only I understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> I got to say, it was magnificent to hear. Your, everything you said was so on point. And I've thought it myself in so many different ways. But you actually put it into words. It's almost like, if, have you heard the butterfly effect? Yes. Yes. And, you know, the, the beauty of when we're talking about different particles and particles are just pieces of matter that have an energy charge. And as we scale out, you know, as a human being, we are just a piece of matter with an energy charge. Yeah. And some of us are low energy and some of us are high energy. Some of us are negative energy and some of us are positive energy. And it's like the thing that you describe in terms of the Big Bang and the particles just bouncing against each other. I think what worked was Anthony was such a highly charged particle that everything that he was bumping into was sticking. Yeah. And yeah. it just so happens that we are all highly charged in our different ways. I had no idea that you had an engineering brain, man. <laughs> yeah, I guess I got a little something. Oh, yeah. Like, to know that you, because that's how I got started, was putting together, you know, taking stuff apart, putting it back together, building robots and stuff like that. And to hear that, yeah, you did that with, uh, a, an engine to build an electric bike just to solve the problem that you were with. That's, man, that's outstanding. Having the engineering spirit and an engineering mind that wants to deconstruct and then put the things back together so that you can live your life in a better way. You literally took your bike apart and then put it back together in a better way in order to solve the societal problem that you were having. You used engineering to solve your societal problem. But did you hear about the the, the kid in Africa that built the that built the um the the he built a helicopter, a generator, and a car that runs on like um what is it um vibration not vibration like uh frequencies electromagnetic electromagnetic frequencies radio waves that's what it is it runs on radio waves. Did you hear about this? No, I haven't. Yeah, he built a car and a helicopter and a generator that runs on like radio waves or something. It's something like that. It's it's insane, but I'm pretty sure he's gonna die soon. It was Why like are you pretty guy, sure he's gonna die soon? It was like that guy Steve Mann back in the 60s or 70s that invented the car that ran on water. He invented a car that ran on water, and all these people had and all these um car companies and corporations had issues with him and they were trying to get his patent um oh man what is it? They, were, they were pretty much trying to just destroy his patent and not and not make it make it so he couldn't release this thing and then he had got he had had a meeting with these guys from uh germany and they like he goes out to eat with them he's perfectly fine i think he took like a bite of his sandwich or some shit and killed over and then they said that he had like a heart attack because he was an alcoholic blah, 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 but everybody in his family was like this dude like he didn't drink he had no issues like that like he just he was a, a scientist that was just solving his own problems but he made a car that ran on water i believe his name was steve mann 
And I want to say it was the 70s that he did this. Now you're going to make me have to look this up. Uh, Stanley Myers water fuel cell. Yes, that's the one. Stanley Myers. That's what it is. All right. Why did I say Steve Mann? Huh? Stanley Myers, Steve Mann. I guess it looks kind of similar. But yeah, that's the guy. And all of his paperwork has disappeared, kind of like Nikola Tesla. I got to say, you are a uh, man, you are a deep, deep reservoir of knowledge. My, my queen, my queen tells me I'm a low key Urkel. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I love it, man. You a low key Urkel. <laughs> you are. I mean, I, you know, in, in the in the in the meeting we had with the university on um, Monday, um. I made the remark and you're proving it. I was like, look, everybody on this call could have been in the honors classes had somebody showed them the right path when they were younger. Everybody. Everybody in Felon to Freeman. Yeah. Like all four of us. And it's... Our systems aren't like we're we are set up in wealthy neighborhoods to figure out who's good at what and then put them in the direction so that that person only does the things they're good at for most of their life, along with all the rest of life. And in our communities, we don't have that as an option. The sorting system is terrible. It's like, look, here's a basketball court. Uh, Here is school and uh here's the radio so if you can dance or rap that's about it we got for you yeah but like if you had if somebody grabbed you and said oh here here let me show you this robot let me (laughs) let me take you into this this junior the the planetarium let me show you this junior engineering class oh my god i'm listening to you i'm like Dude, do you know what you know already? And in the life that you've had to live to get to know the things that you know, what you would know had you just been fed books and knowledge and encouragement? Oh, my God. But, I mean, that's the truth is that's what allows you to be able to be the father of Messiah James Maben. Because you know more of the world than you would have known had you been in the lab all your life. Yeah. Yeah, you right about that. You know, that's the the power of. I know you're not very religious. That's more Anthony's trick behavior. Yeah. But you speak of Buddha. And Buddhism and a lot of the same principles of Buddha and Christ and Muhammad are all the same. This week, we visited Antonio Mabin, the first graduate of the Felon to Freeman program. We knew Antonio was thoughtful, a hard worker, a doting father, and a connected partner to his queen and fiance. This week, we learned how deep his well of knowledge goes. Our conversation about the criminal justice system and his life ranged from electrical and mechanical engineering, quantum physics, and religious doctrine. All of this brilliance from a man who's been encountering the justice system since he was five years old. Imagine his life if someone saw and nurtured his gifts from childhood. The good thing is, he's now finding his peace and his joy. He's now seeing that doing things the right way gives him more options and gives him a peace of mind that all the money in the world can't buy. He has now defined his life path for himself, and he's providing the nurturing guidance 
for his children to live beyond even his own dreams. May we as a community support Antonio in completing the administrative tasks that will allow him to obtain his driver's license and then to build his electric bike business. If someone in New Hampshire is willing to assist Mr. Mabin to attaining his driver's license by walking him through the process at the DMV, please contact us at a.maben, M-A-B-E-N, at felontofreeman.org. Until next time, be kind, be wise, and stay free. Just really important that I feel like that people that are that are coming out of incarceration have people that have been in their position that have made it out of that situation to help support them so they have something that they can actually see or someone that they can actually see who's been through it. I mean, we have a bunch of programs uh, with people who have degrees that have gone to college and done these things who have never been arrested, never seen the inside of a cell, unless they're taking the tour of a prison as a free person, just looking to see what's going on. But people who are coming out, like they need people who have already been there. So they know that it's, it's, a, it's a real thing that they can actually get out and accomplish better things with their lives as opposed to someone who's never been in a situation saying, oh, go over here, do this, and you can do it. Like, it's like when we see homeless people before we actually understand what it's like to like, oh, no, I'm not giving you money. Go get a job. Well, I mean, you've never been homeless. You don't know what it's like to even walk into a place as a homeless man and try to get a job, you know? So it's, we need more people that have actually been in these situations to help lift the people up that are in those situations to help them get out of them. And that's what this is about. Felon Freeman is about for me. Thanks for tuning in. Remember to hit those like, subscribe, and share buttons to keep the freedom train rolling.